Spring of Life Fellowship and its pastor, Joaquin G. Molina, invites you to listen to a message of restoration and strengthening for your life. Be a part of the vision, changing the world. Uh, Jenison Franklin said these words. He says, in the church where we should, this is going to be good, and this is just a side note. In a church where we should join and be a part of the body of Christ to be pillars of the church. You know what a pillar is, right? If you don't know what a pillar is, there's one right there at the bookstore. And it's holding up that piece of roof. And there's one right in the center. It's holding up this piece of roof. I think there's some back here. Um, these pillars hold up the building. And there are people that are part of Spring of Life Church that are pillars. And you can tell something about a pillar. He's always there. And he's carrying a weight. And people might not recognize him. They don't acknowledge him. But he is a great part of the infrastructure of the work of God in our midst. And then he says, there's some Christians that are pillars of the church. And there's some Christians that are caterpillars. They crawl in and they crawl out. They serve no purpose. They take no weight of responsibility. They serve nobody. And God does not want you to be a caterpillar in this place. Uh, we'll love you anyways, but we want to make sure you grow to be a, a pillar of the church. And, and that the, it would be recognized in the weight that you carry uh, of his work in our midst. And so we thank God for that. Father, we thank you tonight for your mercy and grace we thank you that we can gather in your name and that gathering in your name in the house of God, there's great expectation to receive the portion that is necessary that we might live in this world fulfilling your call upon our lives and rejoicing for what you're doing in our midst through our families and the promise and the inheritance that our grandchildren and great-grandchildren will have as they know Christ and as they inherit the fruits of our labor in Christ. So we pray that you would just open our hearts to your word and have the ministry of your spirit nourish us and give us understanding. We pray, O oh God, that we would understand what it is to be still and to know that you are God, that we might press into your instruction in this manner, we pray that you make your word a blessing, a good seed planted in good hearts, and that we should see a harvest in the coming days of being an obedient people. In Jesus' name we pray, amen and amen. As I was sharing on Sunday, there was no doubt that this word in Psalms 46 verse 10 was from the Lord. There is no doubt um, many people came up to me and say, Pastor, thank you. Thank you because I was going crazy. And the Lord spoke just what I needed so that I can be still and know that he is God. I will be exalted among the nations, he says. I will be exalted in the earth. I'll be lifted up in that area if you can learn to be still. But then I know that there was a group of people here on Sunday that told their wives, see, I don't need a job. The pastor said to be still. And so those are people that grab the word of God and they run with it and it's crazy. 
It's crazy. Uh, and so we want to have a proper balance. And the proper balance to be still is the character of a person that knows how to wait upon God. If you're being still, it's not just a being still with reflect of nothing's going on. It's more a proper meditation into what is going on so you do not run ahead of God. I learned many years ago that just like it is awful to backslide, it's just as awful to front slide, to run ahead of God. To have plans God hasn't even told you about. He's not interested. People run into my office all the time. They say, Pastor, we got a good idea. See, and, and, they, and I'm like, I'm waiting on God. I want to see God's glory. I want to see what God can do. I, I have a whole bunch of ideas. I have a whole bunch of things that I could do in many directions. But I've learned that God wants me to be still and to see what he is going to do. Because it's an awesome and fearful thing what God wants to do in our midst. In Exodus chapter 2 verse 11, the Bible says, One day after Moses had grown up, Moses had missed out on the fact that God had delivered him from the time of his birth. I think many of us don't understand how involved God has been in our entire lives God has been really involved in our entire lives, but Moses goes out, and when he was grown up, he went out to his brethren, and he looked at their burdens, and he saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his brethren. So witnessing this, he looked one way and looked another, and seeing that no one was looking, he killed the Egyptian and hid him in the sand. Now, this sounds to me like Moses took matters in his own hands, and it was based on the observation and the measure of those things that were around him. He thought he was going to take out entire Egypt to fulfill the purpose of God. The purpose of God is too intense for us to even think that we can move a step in that direction. The next day as he went out, he saw two Hebrews fighting and he asked the one in the wrong, why are you hitting, your, striking your fellow companion? And the man said, who made you ruler and judge over us? Are you thinking of killing me as you killed the Egyptian? So Moses was afraid and thought what I did must have become known. Verse 15, when Pharaoh heard of this, he tried to kill Moses, but Moses fled from Pharaoh and went to live in Midian, where he sat down by a wall. I want to suggest that sometimes um, the circumstances cause us to act in ways that we should never act, and we do things in response to things that we're trying to, to walk in. And, and what was God's purpose? Because he was a deliverer, but he was front sliding big time. He was taking matters in his own hands. And, and the next episode that I see here, which is so important, is the day in Exodus chapter 3, verse 1, where Moses is out in Midian and he's tending to his father-in-law's sheep. That It says that he, he went uh, to the back of the desert and came to Oreb, the mountain of God. The Bible says there in verse 2 that the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire within a bush. And Mo Moses saw that the bush was on fire and it did not burn up. 
So Moses approached and he says, I will go over and see this strange sight, why the bush does not burn. And when the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, he called to him within the bush and says, Moses, Moses, here I am. Do not come any closer. Take off your sandals, for where you are standing is holy ground. I really believe that it's kind of awkward that God approaches the man of God that's going to be his great deliverer and says, remove the sandals off your feet. What is the reference to remove the sandals off your feet? To have sandals on your feet means there's forward movement and there is protection in that regard to your feet. In that same manner, the Bible says as Joshua was approaching the promised land, he saw a great city called Jericho. And so uh, Joshua was a warrior. He was a general of Moses' army. He, he fought next to Moses many times. And there he is in Joshua chapter 5, verse 13. And he says, Now when Joshua was near Jericho, he looked up and saw a man standing in front of him, and he had his sword drawn in his hand. And Joshua went up to him and asked him, Are you for us or are you for our enemies? Neither, he replied, but I'm a commander of the army of the Lord. I have now come. Joshua fell to his face to the ground and asked him, What message does the Lord have for his servant? If you were sitting at the table with God, about to conquer your greatest city yet, and all of us have these issues in our life, we have that which opposes us from God's promises. We have that which is, is an enemy standing in our way, and the instruction he gets is so unusual. In verse 15, the commander of the Lord's army replied to Joshua, take off your sandals, for the place where you are standing is holy. And Joshua did so. Slow down. Stop. Quit moving in the direction that you feel your own strength. He's telling his men, both Moses and Joshua, become weak in the presence of God so that he might be your strength. Quit moving in this, your strength, in a direction where you're going to be seriously reminded that you're not God. And so many people do this in their lives. They start planning, they start strategizing, they start putting things in strategic order only to show a great devastation, a great embarrassment, a great loss. Never having the ability to have taken the sandals off their feet and waiting upon God. God has to teach us how to do this in our life. God has to teach us that there's more wisdom in shutting your mouth than there is in speaking a word. God has to teach us there's, there's more advance in sitting still than in running very fast. And we have this concept that's totally contrary to the heart of God. And many times God has shown me, and, 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 and through the years as we've served God, He's shown us how He moves, and He moves quickly and furiously. Now, remember the, the time that, that I asked the Lord, Lord, this does not make sense to me. Why is it that I feel you're taking too long and you're telling me that it's not time yet? And so he would teach me words like Isaiah chapter 40 and verse 31. 
that those who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. Those who slow down, those who are willing to take off their sandals, those who are willing to consider and meditate upon the Lord are those that mount up with strength. Those who wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. I, I remember uh, as a small uh, a young boy, um, I walked down the street and, and one gentleman there was, was almost like uh, being a bully to my little brother. And so I said, listen, just leave him alone. And he says, shut up or I'll get on you. And I was like, you don't want to do that. He says, be quiet or else you're going to have a problem with me. I said, you don't want to do that. And he goes, you want to see? And he came over and, and he threw a hundred punches. And I was like, what happened there? He's like, he's, he's going and I'm like, Whoosh. and I just knocked him one time. Just, just one good time and, and the fight was over. And so sometimes we think we're going to approach our problem and we're, we're losing energy fast we're losing something called dignity. Have you ever seen a Christian lose dignity? That's the ugliest thing upon the planet earth. They get so flustered. They get so upset. They get so tired. They get so discouraged. They, they lose any sense of dignity as they see a battle before them. But I've learned it's a good thing to sit there and say, Lord, this is so contrary to my disposition I've always been impulsive I've always been reckless I'm, I'm gonna um, last week I was reminded on Monday um, some gentleman called and he said like this he uh, we had met for five times through Savior marriage and and he calls me early in the morning and he says pastor I just want to tell you one thing I lost my wife to another man because of you I was like, wow, those are big accusations. I said, you know something? I met with you for five times, and I told you if you didn't start acting like a man and start becoming like Jesus Christ, your wife was going to leave you. And so now you come to the conclusion that we met five times, and you didn't do anything I asked you to do. You didn't move in the direction you needed to go, to, and, and I'm responsible. And he says, yeah. I said, okay, I'm sorry. I didn't feel like saying sorry. I wanted to grab him by the neck. But I, I now say, Lord, you know something? He's coming with a situation, and I'm going to respond like Jesus wants me to respond. And so I was like, I, I, I said, okay, so we'll be talking later on. And, and he goes, no, this is over, whatever. So he hangs up. And I come and I talk to Joey and I said, Joey, this happened to me today and I feel awful. And, and I said, you know something, when somebody is, is trying to avoid responsibility and just point at anybody to hold responsible for a bad outcome, uh, it's like venom. It's like a serpent. It's like viper venom. It really sinks in and, and causes an ill effect. Well, Tuesday came along, and then Wednesday come along, and at 8 o'clock in the morning, I see the gentleman calls again. And I'm like, do I take it or do I not take it? <laughs> and I said, I'm going to take it. So I get my phone. I said, yes, sir. He goes, 
I'm surprised you took my phone call. And I told them, every time you call, I'm going to answer this phone call and I'm going to help you save your marriage. And he says, I need your help. Please help me find Jesus Christ. And so in that moment, in that moment, when you give somebody the opportunity to bite your tongue and to be still, you will save that next opportunity for him to be able to reach out. And listen to me. I'm your pastor. This is a big stretch for me. This is a big stretch. I had no understanding that even the first call was a cry for help. Even the first call. Now I understood. What, he wasn't blaming me. He was, he was saying, I'm hurting. And if I'm not walking in the spirit of God, if I'm not walking in the presence of God, if I'm not filled with the spirit of God, when somebody is lashing out like that, that little kid was going like this, all these punches, and just sit back and just knock them one in the Holy Spirit. <laughs> Give him something that he will know that he will know that he's been in the presence of somebody who is still, somebody who has their sandals off their feet, somebody who's waiting on the strength of God. And so God wants us to be this people, even tonight as we share this, God is wanting us to learn more and more, quit reacting, quit running. Uh, I was, Alex, could I share this? I'm going to share this. This gentleman has been coming for a year to our church. And he says, Pastor, I could never be still. Man, even if I thought for a second something, I was in the mix. And now people try to push my buttons. They try to figure out which one is going to set me off. And it's not going to happen. That's only the Spirit of God. That's only the Spirit of God. That's the wisdom of the Lord. And, and, and so God is bringing us into this thing. I don't know which one of you, being a general in an army, would be told by a man holding a sword, take off your sandals. And you would say, no way. I'm about to go into war. I'm about to bring the walls of Jericho down. I'm figuring it out right now. I'm meeting with all my entourage, with all my artillery, with all my weaponry. And he's saying, hey, God is going to do this. So if we have the capacity to be still, it's not being still for being still's sake, but being still is part of God's game plan for waiting. And it's, it's, it's so against our carnal nature. We, uh, you know, I really felt, you might not have felt this way on Sunday, but Sunday I felt that there was a million spears and rifles and, and, and plants and everybody just laid down their, their assignments. They're like, I don't want to, I don't, you know, I really felt that the people were just like saying, God, thank you. Because I was going to, I'm on a war path. I, this, this, this situation is going down because I'm going to figure it out. So um, when he says be still, part of his strategy to be still, it goes hand in hand. And I wrote it here. I want, to, I want to mention it the way it came out with respect to my notes. Um, 
and, and basically is, hey, we need to get to the place where we are still. Where God can do something. Here it is. The concept of being still must be accompanied with the idea of somebody who's waiting. You cannot not be still. You can't be in movement and say you're waiting at the same time. So be still means you're waiting. And you, if you're not waiting, if you're not, if you're not expecting God to do something, then you're not going to be still. So in other words... Being still is the proper instruction for those who are waiting. When we are not waiting, we are losing amazing participation, which means we are moving to solve problems even though we have no knowledge. Being still is the instruction for those who will quiet themselves sufficiently to know the mind of God. In other words, being still means you're actively pursuing what God is thinking. Being still means that you're finding the presence and the wisdom and the instruction of God for his game plan, for his strategy. To, to be still is to say, Lord, teach me how I ought to pray. Teach me how I'm supposed to come before your presence. Well, I don't want to just want God to hurry up and do something. God, has, he doesn't proceed like that. We went to the hospital several years ago in Miami Children's Hospital. I got there. There was a mess. There were people all over the place. There was a group praying, and there was a, a group cursing God, and there was a group in between doubting. They didn't believe, and they didn't hate God. They were just in the middle trying to find out what they were going to do. And so when I got there, I prayed. And I was like, Lord, they're going to lynch me if this baby dies while I'm here. 15-month-old baby. And so I prayed, and then I moved back. And all of a sudden, the doctor came up and says, you know something? If the kidney doesn't start working, within 15 minutes, the baby dies. Listen to me. If we're hysterical, if we're going crazy, if we're going nuts, we won't even know what to pray. So as I stood, I stood back and I heard the doctor say this, I told the husband, listen, none of us prayed for this situation. Since the doctor has told us what to pray for, let's pray again the way we heard the doctor speak. So we went back to the baby and we prayed again and the Lord saved its life. Amen. To be able to observe... To be able to, to proceed in a manner that's consistent with the plans of God. To be still is to meditate. We're going to see this now. Um, Psalm 27. As he's surrounded by great distress on every side. Let me find it for you guys. Um, the writer of Psalm 27, I'm going to have to find it here again. Verse 4, he says, 
one thing have I asked. I'm praying in a certain manner. And it, it's in the light of everything being stirred up. Everything is out of order. There's a bunch of craziness going on in this situation. Let me see if I could, I could put it in context. Verse 2 says, When the wicked came against me, and they were nearly wanting to me to, they were cannibals. They wanted to eat my flesh. My enemies and my foes, they stumbled and fell. Though an army may encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. I'll tell you why the heart could not fear, would not fear. The war may rise against me, and in this I will be confident. I am confident in this. What is he confident in? I'm not moving an inch. I'm not budging in any direction. I'm confident in this. I only have one desire. Verse 4. One thing have I desired of the Lord, and I will seek this. I'm going to run to the house of God all the days of my life, and I'm going to meditate, I'm going to inquire, I'm going to behold the beauty of the Lord and, and inquire in his temple. You know, 90% of the people that are having all the issues they're having in our day, running to Obamacare, running to insurance companies, running to doctors, running to all sorts of things, have not run to the house of God and been still in the presence of God. What does God want to give us? I know, I just want Jules to, to hook me up with some hard medication so I could continue to be a psychopath. So I could continue to fill my life with double thoughts. The Bible says a double-minded person is unstable in all his ways. There's no peace for that man. There's no peace for the wicked. He says, I want to go to the house of the Lord, and there in the house of the Lord, I'm going to seek this, this word, um, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord, that's called permanence. That's called he's rooted and grounded. He's, he's becoming, he's, he's strong in the place where God is telling him to be still. That I, uh, all the days of my life, to behold the beauty of the Lord and to consider, to inquire. I wrote it down in the Amplified, and he, sa he uses the words, to gaze upon that which is attractive and delightful of the Lord, to meditate, consider, and ask him, hey, Lord, what is going on? And so if you keep on reading, he says like this, for in time of trouble, he shall hide me in his pavilion. In the secret place of his tabernacle, he shall hide me, and he shall set me high upon a rock. So that my, my head would be lifted above my enemies all around me. And this way I will offer sacrifices of joy in his tabernacle. And I will sing, yes, I will sing praises to the Lord. Hear me, O Lord, when I cry with my voice. Have mercy upon me and answer me. When you said, seek my face, 
my heart said to you, your, your face, Lord, will I seek. This guy is grounded. This guy is waiting upon the Lord. In verse 14, he, he ties it up with saying, wait on the Lord, be of good courage, and he shall strengthen your heart. Yes, be still. Yes, wait on God. We, we have done so much damage in running ahead of God. We've done irreparable damage running ahead of God. The Bible says that Joshua was called right before they went to Jericho, and God says, circumcise all the young people. Who, who would ever think that right before you're going to go to war, you mess up men that bad? You, you, just, you just say, look, mark yourself as a person that has a relationship with God. More important than the actual battle. Because if you mark yourself as belonging to God, he's going to fight your battle. He's going to be. See, all the demons in hell are sitting there pointing out to your loss. Not because you are lost, but because you belong to God. And God cannot lose. God has to win. Ed Cole says, and he lived for a long time, he's like that verse in Psalms where it says, I've been old and now, I was young and now I'm old, and I've never seen the righteous forsaken. Paul wrote that down in Psalm 37. Well, Ed Cole says that that was the testimony of his life before he died at 85, 88. And he said like this in his books, in almost all his books, he writes, God never finishes anything on the negative. I, that gets me excited. That gets me really excited. Because if that's the character of the God I serve, woo, he has a game plan. And, and so it doesn't matter what we're going through. It doesn't matter what we've gone through. If we know that God is putting all things together in a manner that if we, we can truly contemplate, inquire, meditate, gaze so that your head rises above all the crap. I'm sorry, I was told not to say that. All the garbage that your enemies talk about your condition where they come up with things like this. Have you ever heard an enemy? Where's your God now? They, they, they say it all the time. And what is God going to do now that you're in this situation? Hey, listen to me. I'm going to see my God lift up a great banner. And it's going to be say it, it's going to say faithfulness of God. It's going to be the faithfulness of God. And so we will celebrate. And that's what he's talking about. I will sing. Yes, I will sing praises. And Lord, when, when I cry with my voice and see you answer me. So at the end. Psalm 27, verse 14, he says, wait on the Lord and wait in a sentiment of good courage. He shall strengthen your heart. Yes, wait on the Lord. One of the powerful verses that the Lord has given us tonight is Psalm 107, verse 30. In this uh, uh, testimony of the life of the people of Israel, they had so many things that were going on. And all of a sudden, in the midst, in the very most difficult time of their life, it says that God moved and they were glad because they are quiet. Then they are glad because they are quiet. What does that mean? 
I think it means that a person that is being still and waiting upon God with a good attitude, God shows up. God, God comes through. And he says, because they were glad and because they are quiet, he guides them to a desired haven. And just think about what the end result of your situation would be if God is involved. And that's exactly what he does when you are glad and when you are quiet, when you're being still, when you're waiting on God. He guides them to your desired haven, to where the plan is. Natural to our existence is worry. Being still is totally contrary to fallen humans, to nature. If we do nothing and we worry, we are not being still. Our machinations, I don't even know if that's a word. I'm going to try it. Our ability to put all our machinery into action. All I can tell you is the people that do that are proud. People who do that are going to be like Moses who attempt great feats outside of God's timing. And it's going to, it's going to, it's going to back, um, it's going to have a backlash. It always has when man has run ahead of God. The endless barrage of all things that fill our lives as a result of not being able to be still. We think that busyness is going to be productive. The Bible says in Isaiah 30, 15, For thus says the Lord God, the Holy One of Israel, in returning and in being still, in rest, you shall be saved. In quietness and confidence shall be your strength. And then the, the, the verse finishes, but you would not. He's given us the game plan to be successful, the game plan for his involvement, the game plan for victory, but we have fudged it. We have gone on ahead and we've disregarded God in every sentiment. I believe being still is a time to hear precise words from the Spirit of God in a precise situation to get precise results. I really believe that being at a place geographically and being still in, you know, um, whether it be your house, whether it be amongst your family, whether it be at your church, whether it be a career, a job, being still is God's great plan for his fulfilling his purpose. Don't understand much of this. Psalm 23 verse 2 says, he makes me. Because a lot of us need to be made to lie down in green pastures. And he always leads me besides still waters. This refreshes and restores my soul. Verse 3. The, the stillness is a restoring of the soul. If you are depleted with your energies, if you're just so restless, you cannot think one straight thought. If you're so overcome, just a lot of people feel that, that just nobody understands me. You got a wrong perspective. Well, nobody's helping me. You got a wrong perspective. Well, why, does it, why is it happening to this person and not to me? You have a wrong perspective. Come to the place of quietness. Come to the place where you hush all your thoughts. Shh. Hush, little baby, go to sleep. Right? 
be, be quiet. What is God doing? What is God developing? I thank God. Listen to me. God told me in ministry to be still for over 15 years. Hey, I was like, I want to be a missionary. I want to preach. Go finish school. Took me nine years to finish school. I was like, man, this is never going to work out. This is when I'm strong. I'm not going to have a chance to be a minister, a missionary. And God says, shh, I get out of school and they say, go work. I was like, that's, that's, that's not, be still, be still. I'm doing something. You think that, that you're going to do something. I'm going to do something. And I thank God so much for being still those first nine years in law school, 10 years working as a lawyer. And now I tell Lord, 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 could I be still a little bit more? You know, wait till I'm 55. Wait another 10 years. Because I don't want to miss out with what you want to do. I don't want to miss out. See, Moses thought he was going to do something. He didn't do anything. Joshua thought he was going to do something. He didn't do anything. He just was still enough to hear the instruction of God. Joshua 5, verse 6, the, Israelite, the Israelites moved out about in the wilderness 40 years until all the men who were of military age when they left Egypt had died since they were not still enough to obey the voice of the Lord. Every military man, they start out with their military leader, their commander-in-chief Moses without sandals. And God tells them, hey, you guys, take your sandals off because I'm going to introduce you to the land. You know what they said? No. We don't like that game plan. We don't like that thing about being still. So God says, fine. Let them die off and we'll wait for another generation that is willing to do as God says. Boys, take the sandals off your feet. Boys, circumcision time. They're like, amen. Boys, we're not going to say nothing for seven days. You're going to march around this city. And on the seventh day, you're going to shout. They were quiet enough. They were in tuned enough. They were still enough to hear God's instruction for complete and total victory. It's awesome. The Bible says there, so he raised up, in verse 7, he raised up their sons in their place. And these were the sons of Joshua, circumcised. They were still uncircumcised because they had not been circumcised on the way. And after that whole nation had been circumcised, they remained in their camp until they healed. Isn't that powerful that God is sitting there saying, let's prepare these men to be an army willing to march when I say march. Willing to go forward and follow my instructions. And the end result of this was total annihilation of Jericho's walls. The walls of Jericho came tumbling down and they had not thrown the first punch. They, had, they were not tired. They were not exhausted. They were not overwhelmed. They were not put to shame. God had fought their battles. So I believe God wants us Christians to have that character and demeanor. God, keep us from having our generation that doesn't learn how to be still have to pass away. In verse 5 there, it says, and these men.
Verse 6 says, All the men of military age, Exodus 5, I mean Joshua 5, 6, all the men of military age when they left Egypt had died since they had not obeyed the Lord. For the Lord has sworn to them they would not see the land he had solemnly promised their ancestors to give us a land flowing with milk and honey. So this whole generation had to die. I believe they were too insistent on their own ways, on their own strength, who, you know, let's, let's, let's just carry this thing how we perceive it. Listen to me. I fear God too much to lose out what he has to give us. I just don't want to lose what God has to give us. Let's stand tonight and ask God, God, this life of being still is so unusual to us. We read the verse in 1 Thessalonians where it says, if anyone is walking, no, it's 2 Thessalonians 3, 6. Let's read this together. Very important. You don't want to be part of a clan that is trying to get something accomplished. We're reading 2 Thessalonians 3, 6. We command you, commandment, unusual for the New Testament. Ready? We command you, brethren, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, that you not participate, that you withdraw from any bro for every brother who walks disorderly and not according to the traditions which we have received, which he has received from us. And, and some people say, well, put that in context for us so that we know what it means to not walk orderly. In verse 11, there it is. It says, For we hear that there are some among you, there are some who walk among you in a disorderly manner. Well, what's that mean? Disorderly means a lot of things. Those who are not working at all, but are busy bodies. I don't know what that with that term, but I see, I see a lot of movement in every, every, every direction that is not being still. A lot of movement in a lot of directions. All I can say is like, it's like the Flintstones. You remember when he used to be in the car, he's like just moving his feet real fast and going nowhere, getting tired, being exhausted. There's no joy in his face. You can tell a man who's being still, he's enjoying the ride. He's enjoying the scenery. He's seeing the goodness of God, the victories of the Lord. And he's not overwhelmed and he's not trumped. We need to get to that place very quickly because our lives are encouragement to our brother or they're discouragement. They're either waiting upon God with joy, with gladness, being still. So he moved on their behalf and brought them to their desired haven, to their safe place. As we sing this song tonight, I hope that you continue to pursue not the being still where you are considered idle, like, oh, I don't know, Pastor said be still. I don't know what, pay. listen to me. Be quiet. Listen to the voice of his spirit. Find out what direction, what, you know, why Things are happening a certain way because God has a glorious game plan. 
I'm sure that that generation of Jericho was, this is the stupidest thing we've ever heard. Walking around the city, we're wasting our energies. All we're being is tired. When these people come out and fight us, we're not even going to have the strength. And and they were just going a mile a minute because they did not know to be still. They did not know to be glad. They did not know to praise God for the glorious victory. And, And hallelujah for those walls come tumbling down. Hallelujah. Who got the glory at Jericho? Does anybody know? God got the glory at Jericho. This was not anybody's idea. And so following God and listening to his instruction and and being, you know, being really curious to say, Lord, this is a very unusual way of going about your purpose. But Lord, I'm happy and I'm still. I'm still. I'm stiller than still. Let's go ahead and sing to the Lord and, and bring our hearts to that place. Bring our hearts to the place where we're still in.